My heart has been uh, incredibly burdened. Um, I think just you know, the images that you see, I can't get an image out of my head of, of a grandmother and young children, probably my kid's age, learning how to shoot to protect themselves. And it's this, it's this um, bittersweet turmoil in my soul with as a pastor, believing God for his word, trusting in his divinity and sovereignty within in my humanity, I have so many questions. And look, I, like I'm, I, there's no way that in a room this size, I am alone. Right? Like, we have experienced things in our lives, whether what we see or whether what you experience personally that has made you question may be tempted to even doubt his love for you. Maybe even question his sovereignty and how much is God really in control of, right? Come across a lot of atheists who ask the question, if, if God was real, if God was love, why is there so much evilness? I've asked that question. I still ask it. Three Bible degrees later, still don't have an answer. But my lack of knowledge or answer doesn't negate the reality of a real God. So just because I can't understand fully his workings, my infinite mind or my finite mind cannot understand his infinite ways. There's, just, there's no way. His ways are way above our ways, as Isaiah says, and his thoughts are way above our thoughts. It's not a cop out, but at some place there has to be this space for grace, Right? This space for faith. We say, God, I don't understand A, B, C, D. But if your word says this, then I have to place my faith in it and I believe you and trust you. In fact, there are promises that he's given us in his word. I just read one of them. And the promise in Psalm 121 is not that we will not experience evil. But it is that evil will not have the last word. He gave us this promise. There are many promises that you see people quote on their bios, on social media. They're posting scripture. They even have coffee mugs. Um, they have stickers on their car. By the way, if you, if you have stickers on your car, I don't have any Christian stickers on my car because I'm a horrible driver. And I cut people off, like, and I'm just not giving the eye, like, you're going too slow. So if that is you, at least take off the North Phoenix sticker out of your car. <laughs> Don't be representing me with that stuff. Um, you telling all your, you say that's a you? I'll go pray for you, bro. Uh, I didn't mean for us to go into that area. Um, but there's a, there's a scripture that is a promise of God that we probably do not have on a mug. And it's John 16. And I want you to listen to this word. Right before we get into Romans, Jesus is coming to his last hour. Jesus is telling his disciples basically this. Let me sum up what he's telling them. It's about to get a lot worse before it gets a lot better. And he gives them this promise saying, don't be surprised, because it's going to be really hard. Why is it going to be really hard? 
Well, because sin has entered the world and it's a reality. And there's a prince of this air who we call Satan that's also a reality. And he's trying to do as much damage as he can before Jesus comes back, because Jesus is coming back. And so what he says, Jesus, to prepare his people is this, behold, the hour is coming. What just happened there? I didn't touch it. Maybe the hour is here, you know. (laughs) Behold, the hour, there you go again. It's because I called out the demons and now they're, behold, the hour is coming. I'm getting punked myself. I think I made a media guy mad or something back there. The hour is coming, media guy. The hour is coming. In fact, indeed, it has come. In fact, indeed, this is your, your people take scripture out of context. That's what it looks like right there. But um, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. So Jesus has given them this promise that you're going to be scattered because of me and because of my word. Like things aren't going to go right. It's not going to look right. It's not going to go well because of me. So I'm giving you a cheat sheet to let you know you're going to have some hard times. It's kind of like this. Um, I love to do premarital counseling. And the couples come in, and I can't tell you how many marriages I've done. The, the, the one that comes to mind is, is one in, when I was a college pastor, I was doing premarital counseling. And the couple came in and I'm just like, hey, I'm just gonna be real with y'all. You won't always like each other. Like sometimes you're gonna just wanna fight and they're like, <laughs> we don't fight. And it's like, sucker. <laughs> um, and, I, and I'm upfront, I'm like, look, things are gonna get hard. Um, some of you will argue over um, whether the, the roll of toilet paper comes from the top or from the bottom. And some of you will get mad because he, he leaves his shoes at the door. And you're like, well, you pick up your own shoes or you don't hang the towel or you never do dishes. Or I'm saying this is going to happen at some point. And they're like, no, we're so in love. It's awesome. And, and it's typically those couples, which is okay. It's real cute. But typically those couples who won't um, take heed to this kind of counsel because their minds can't fathom it, um, sometimes get hit the hardest. And then when things get hard, they freak out. And I always tell people like, you have one sinner marrying another sinner, trying to live together under one household. There's a lot of sinning going on and sanctifying going on. And God is gonna expose selfishness and he's gonna mold us and sanctify us. And, and they don't believe me. Then typically a year later, they're like, this is hard. He's like, I told you that the hour is coming. <laughs> you know? and, and that's not, you know, I, marriage is awesome. I love marriage. We never fight, but couples that I know of, <laughs> couples that I counsel, they do. And so I don't know what it's like exactly, but when I talk to them, and, and here's, what, here's what they think. Here's what they think. Did I marry the wrong person? Like, we're not getting along. Did I marry the wrong person? And they're challenged, and they don't know how to react. And I'm like, this is why I wanted to give you a heads up of what was coming. The disciples were kind of like this. They were, they were so probably rose-colored glasses because they were walking with Jesus, and Jesus was doing everything. I mean, he was multiplying food. He was raising from the dead. He was healing people. Like, if, if you had a friend like that, and you're hanging out with him, some of that swag rubs off on you. It's like you walk into place like, he got it. Hey, do the water into wine thing. He, he'll take care of it. 
it rubs off on you. And so can you imagine they had this, this false swag confidence that life is going to be easy because they were with Jesus. But Jesus gives them this promise like, hey, newlyweds, I know our relationship is fresh and new, but it's going to get hard. And here's the promise that he gives them. You're going to be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you. Why did you tell me life is going to suck? Here's why I told you this. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He is helping them to understand that their peace will not be found in their circumstances. Their peace will not even be found in a spouse. Their peace will not be found in a job. Their peace would not be found in money. Their peace would not be found in them necessarily sinning less. But he says this, let me set this up. Regardless of the circumstances around you, it is possible for you to have peace. What is peace in the midst of chaos? Peace in the midst of chaos is keeping your eyes on the Prince of Peace, recognizing that although everything is not perfect, there is one who is still in, con- in control of the chaos. See, because chaos doesn't mean that God's not in control. We tend to think that, or that he is left or that he is absent. The presence of pain and, and evilness is not the absence of God. The presence of pain is not the absence of God. And so what he's helping them understand, yes, you will be scattered, it will be hard, but you will have peace. But where do we find it? Well, you find it in me. This is the key. If you want peace, you find peace in me and only me. Then he tells them this, let me give you another promise. In the world, you will have tribulation. Um, In the Greek, the reason why I love parsing the words is because I, I speak Spanish and not all the words transfer with the same oomph into the English. We know that. In the Greek, it's the same way. The word they use here is tribulation, uh, and some of your uh, versions of the Bible can be trouble, but it loses its oomph. So if we unpack this word of what Jesus told them, it's really important. In the world, in the Greek, you know what this means? World. In the world, you will have tribulation. Uh, Let's peel back like it's an onion. Let's peel back this word because it's going to bring us so much freedom. This means extreme pressure. So watch this. So Jesus is saying in this world, there will be extreme pressure in your life. It digs even deeper in the Greek. A pressure that leads to anguish. And that is anguish, I promise. And it gets even better when you peel back the onion of this Greek word. You have pressure that leads to an anguish, watch this, that burdens your soul. So, if you're in here today and your soul is burdened, by what's happening in our world, what's happening in our country, if your soul is burdened by the number of of babies aborted a year in America, if your soul is burdened by, by anything that doesn't seem right in this world, I hate to break it to you, but he promised, he promised your soul, what a promise, like anybody have that scripture tattooed on you? 
Let's get real. Like he's telling us, uh, let me give you a heads up. I promise you will be burdened because this world is broken and sin is real and Satan is real. So if we were to say, good night, amen, have a great day, you'd leave here thinking, gosh, we should have just prayed and went home. But he doesn't leave us at that. He's saying, it's, it, you're going to be burdened, but here's great news, but take heart. Man, but, but in the middle of all this, dig inside deep, inside your soul and heart and refocus your emotions and attention on Christ and his word and knowing that he is sovereign, he is fully in control. He's not 99% in control. God is 100% in control, 100%. So look, you're gonna have a burdened soul, but take heart. Why do I take heart in the middle of so much evilness? Because I have overcome the world. What does it mean that the victory is already done, the script has already been written? I know in our lives that we, some of us are living a chapter of our life that we do not like or enjoy. Because you have made decisions that you don't enjoy nor proud of, or things have happened to you where it's been really hard in your life, but praise God, he's not done writing the story. You may not like the chapter, but he's not done with the book. You may not like the chapter, but he is not done with the book. So let me sum this up. How many of you um, are managers or supervisors of people? You can raise your hand. Are you in charge of people in the workplace? You may or may not know this. You ever heard of the phrase, when the cat is away, the mice will play? I want you to know that your employees play when you're gone. It's like when you leave the office, I know it because I have popped in when my employees thought I was gone and all of a sudden flag football in the office in Fortnite ended very quickly, right? I'm joking, that's never happened that I know of, but we all know we tend to get a little more loose. But all we have to do is send an email, make a phone call, and it reminds them, oh, he's still in charge. So for those of you who are employees, you know just because you're out of the office doesn't mean you're not in charge. So what Jesus is telling them is, look, I'm going to be out of the office, but I'm still in charge. I'm going to be out of the office and, and things might happen. You may forget, but I'm still in charge because I have overcome the world and you can have peace. I am still in charge. And then when you look at Romans... Paul poses the question, as we break through Romans, of this important question that we are tempted to think when life gets hard, when things don't go our way, we are tempted to question God's love. When God takes away things from us, we question his love. I have never seen my kids lose their mind than in the moments I take something away. Well, you don't love me. Dude, it's Fortnite, chill. Something happens where they cannot comprehend. If you love me, you would do this. But since you don't love me, you're doing this. And what is going on? And there's this weird relationship, stress and turmoil. And when turmoil happens in our lives, we are tempted to think that God does not love us or God is not present. So Paul writes this to help us to understand that there isn't anything that can separate us from God's love. Very timely scripture. 
The word Paul uses when he speaks in a rhetorical manner is this word separate. In the Greek, it means divorce. It's the same word that Paul uses when he speaks of divorce. So what Paul is saying is, who and what can divorce us from God's love? God's love is agape. This is an affection that has action tied to it, which means... um, Romans 8 verse 32 is evidence of this love because it says that he did not spare his own son. What is God's action to prove his love? His action and affection was putting his son on the cross. That was God's love in action. God's love is always an acting love. God's love is always an acting love. It's a moving love. So God agapes us who shall divorce us from the agape love of Christ. Rhetorical question. He goes on to answer this by asking more rhetorical. Shall tribulation, a burdened soul, shall distress, which means like you're in this, in the Greek, means like you're in this foxhole where you feel like you're imploding and nothing is going right. Shall persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness, danger, or the sword, persecution, Shall any of this stuff, does this stuff, when it happens in our world and in your life, doesn't mean that God does not love you. Paul is saying absolutely not. And there's something you have to understand. You cannot be tempted or tricked by the enemy to think that if life is hard, then God is not in charge. And so Paul wants them to understand because they're about to live a really hard life. In fact, Paul himself ends up getting beheaded because he's preaching the gospel. And just like Jesus did to his disciples, Paul's doing the same thing. Let me give you a heads up. This is hard. This is hard. So in this room today, when you have a burdened and distressed soul, I do not want you to dare let the enemy tempt you and deceive you to thinking that God does not love you, want you, or see you. Even in your worst days, he is there. There's an arrogance that is tied to the love of God if we're not careful. Because when we are living a great moral life and we are on the mountaintop and we are experiencing God's love, we are tempted to think that God loves us because of our moral purity. Then when you're in the valley and life is hard, you are tempted to think that God doesn't love you because you've been messing up too much. And you have this holy swag on the mountaintop. And sometimes the only way for God to knock it out of you is to let you go to the valley. But he doesn't leave you. He's still with you. It's interesting how many Christians can encounter this arrogance and swag as if they forgot who is the one who's in charge. My son plays baseball, and he had a doubleheader baseball game yesterday. Makes for a very long day, and it's a lot of fun. Man, I love watching my son play baseball. They played this team the first game, and um, by the fourth inning, I don't know, it was like 15 to 1. We were winning. And it was amazing to see these kids, are 10-year-olds, are great little athletes, but they were like swagged out. They, they were swagged out. I was like, hey, buddy, good job. He's like, yeah, I know. I was like, you little punk. Like, what are you? And then one kid hits the inside the park home run, and like, they go in the dugout. They put this big gold chain on him. He's doing the little gritty thing. I don't know what they do these days, but they're doing it. And I'm like, are they singing 
DJ Khaled in there? Well, what is going on? And they're just jamming, they're having a good time. And 10 year olds like, hey, pouring Gatorade on each other, dancing. I'm like, what is happening? And all of a sudden, game is over. They won 25 to one. And they thought they were bad. Came swagged out with the eye black, drinking little Dutch bros. And I'm like, how did you get your parents are running errands in between the game to bring their kids Dutch brothers? <laughs> a little punk drinking coffee. And he's sitting there swagged out, leg crossed, drinking Dutch brothers. And hey, good game, buddy. I know. I'm like, ugh. Someone's on a mountaintop. Then, then, a new team showed up for their second game. This is these 10, 11 year olds. But I promise you, I saw one of these kids, I think it was the pitcher, pull up in a G wagon <laughs> and had a family of four or five come to watch him. They got up there and listen, it's 10 year old baseball, not that big of a deal. Baseball is a game of highs and lows. The easiest way to get humbled, go play baseball. And all of a sudden that swag meter and factor that they had, went from singing DJ Khaled and pouring Gatorade and wearing gold chain to first inning, second inning, third inning, all of a sudden it's like 20 to one. They were on the losing end. And I was like, my, my, my. <laughs> I'd walk by, DJ Khaled, you know. <laughs> <laughs> messing with it. Where's that Starbucks at, buddy? You know, and not that I enjoy that stuff, but <laughs> I did a little bit yesterday, but, um, but I, I love it because do I love when I see my son excel and do well? Absolutely. I mean, no doubt. You know, my son has the last name on his jersey, says Garcia. I want everyone to know he's my son. I'm like, hey, it's, it's me, Hawaii, mijo. Everyone knows, like, oh, that's his dad right there. That's his dad right there. You know, I'm so proud. He's still in base. It is, oh, I'm so proud. It's awesome. Come on, because I've seen your hard work. I love to see you do well. Then he gets hit by the pitch in the back, and then it's like all of a sudden he doesn't want to play. And then the second game, like, ooh, he's struggling. But he's still my son. And I still love you. And I'm still proud of you. And your performance does not dictate the kind of love that you're going to have. And in baseball, you're going to go through highs and lows. But guess who's always there with you, son? Me. Guess who's always proud to see that name on your jersey? me. What Paul is telling these believers is saying, look, you're going to go through ups and downs and it's going to be hard, but let me share something with you that whether you're in on the mountaintop and whether you're singing DJ Khaled because you think that your Christian swag has something to do with it or whether or not you're in the valley because of your own sin or because life has been hard, let me share a truth that nobody can erase or take away. That truth is that there is nothing that will separate you from the love of Christ. It keeps coming, it keeps flowing, it keeps going. When you can't feel it, 
It is there. It is carrying you. It is walking with you in the mountaintop. It will never leave you nor forsake you. When you can't smell it, it's still there. When you can't feel it, it's still there. When you can't hear it or see it, the love of Christ is always there and nothing can ever divorce you from it. Your own sin, when you're in Christ, cannot divorce you from his love. So as you can imagine, they're thinking, that's crazy. And then Paul doesn't stop because he wants them to fully understand this. And they're thinking at this point, yeah, but what happens if my life is taken, what happens if my life is taken from me for sharing the gospel? Well, then Paul, who wrote Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, when he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What is he saying? If I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. If I die, it's going to be a gain. It's going to be an upgrade because I'm going to be with my Savior in heaven. So he is saying, look, whether death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, he's speaking of spiritual warfare, demonic powers. Paul is speaking about demonic powers here, saying even when it seems like demonic powers are winning and advancing, I want to share something with you. That, that doesn't mean God has divorced his love from you. And if they're probably sitting here thinking, well, how far does God's love actually go? How far does God's love actually go? If you're a believer in Christ, think about the worst thing you've ever done. Think about the worst thing you've ever said or ever thought or ever looked at. God's love was still there. Can you just fathom that? At your worst, he still gave you his best. And not a second did he divorce or withhold his love from you. That when you were at your worst state, Romans tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were at your worst state, then when you were in the state walking with Christ and you knew better, but you still decided to take part of that sin, he still didn't divorce his love from you. When we have been adulterers, as he calls the Israelites, when we have been adulterers and he had every reason to divorce us, he still didn't divorce us. What a mighty, powerful God we serve today. That he loves you and he knows everything about you. And so Paul is trying to let them know, look, this love is powerful and it's wide and it's deep. And he says, it, is, it goes so high, it goes so deep, nor anything else all, in all creation will be able to separate, divorce us from the love of God. Now watch this. Uh, what I love doing with my son, no matter how he played, I love giving him that consistent love. But I don't do that for the other kids on the team. I do that because he's my son. When Paul is writing this and, and Jesus is talking about the love that Christ has, I, you need to hear something very clearly. Sometimes people say, we're all God's children or God, you know. So let me, let me break this apart. God loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God has that love and affection for us all. For the entire world, as a matter of fact, as the scripture says. 
but not all get to partake in his covenant love. It's a big difference. There's God's love for the world, then there's God's covenant love. So who gets to claim this truth? Those that are part of God's covenant love. So not everyone, if you're not a Christian in the room today, this, I, I'm sorry, but this, you can't claim this. This is a different kind of love. This is a covenant love. How do we know that? Because he says this love is for those that are in Christ Jesus. So let me break this down even more. I love you as a church, as my brother and sister, as a friend. I, I love you. But I don't love you the way I love my wife. I love my bride differently than the way I love you. You don't get this kind of love for me because I withhold it for her and only her. So what Paul is saying is, yes, God loves you. But if you're his bride, he has a different kind of love for you. So those who are his bride get to receive and claim that kind of love. Those who are not cannot receive and claim this kind of promise. So the reason why when my son walks off the field, I'll pat the kids' backs, let them know those who are down. Great job, buddy. Don't worry about it. But my son comes home with me and receives a different kind of affection and love because he's my son. So those of you that are in Christ today get to receive a different kind of affection and love because you are his bride. You can claim this right here. Like you can claim that with all authority and power because you are his bride. Now, I'm going to ask David to come up. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And here's what we're going to do. He's going to sing a chorus of a song. But during this chorus of a song, here's what I want us to do. Um, I want us, Scripture is clear, you take this today if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you are not, um, it wouldn't make any sense for you to take it. And Scripture says you would drink judgment upon yourself. So take, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to sing and take it together. But also, Scripture says, I want you to, during this course, just examine your heart. And I don't know what kind of sin is there that you need to confess. I don't know what's in your heart. Uh, maybe you're on the valley and you think you had something to do with everything going on in your life and you're just, your winds are, you know, you're sailing in the wind and you're just ego tripping and you need to come back down to reality. I don't know. I don't know if you're in the valley because of your own sin and you're wondering how are you going to get out of it. Just confess it. I don't know. What I want to do is lead you to him. And before we take this, I'll come back up here and I'll lead us together. But let's first let's confess our sin let's acknowledge his seat and our seat great is your faithfulness to me great is your faithfulness to me from the rising sun to the setting, same I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. Church, sing it out with me, say. Great is your faithfulness to me. Reflect on that, say. rising from 
the rising sun to the disciples together around the table I really believe that there is no way for them to fathom how difficult life would get they probably heard Jesus telling them that in this life you're going to have troubles and they heard all of that but they could not begin to fathom the pain they would feel when they, they lost a loved one they could not fathom the pain they would feel of betrayal they could not fathom when they look at the world and think what is going on, they couldn't fathom this stuff. And I know, I know that you've experienced stuff in your life that you, you didn't imagine you would experience. And I know there's, there's probably pain and there's bitterness and there, there's all kinds of stuff. There's confusion. And Jesus knew that. He knew that for my life. He knew it for your life. But he instituted this so that when believers gathered, we can, we can just pause amongst the chaos of life and you pause amongst the broken relationships and the stresses of whatever. And the souls are so burdened by life and you pause say, Jesus, my soul indeed is burdened. But I'm going to focus and remember your promises and that you have overcome the world and that you are sovereign that you are powerful and I don't understand the way you write stories but it's your story to be written I don't agree and I don't like it if this gives you more glory the kingdom come that will be done on earth as it is in heaven but would you hold on to me Jesus would you give me the strength to believe you when I don't believe you would you help me to be faithful when I'm tired of being faithful they would endure no clue but this was to remind them as it is to remind us and he took the bread and said this was my body that is given to you 
and they took together. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood that was shed for you. I'm going to ask that nobody leave, and I just want to share this. That when Christ died on the cross, it was to seal the deal of no separation ever and no condemnation. But there is one thing that can separate you from God's eternal love. There's one thing, and this has to be the scariest, gut-wrenching thing for anybody. There's one thing that can separate you from God's covenant eternal love. One thing. And that is not placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And he gives you the chance, he gives you the word to enter this covenant relationship. And man, I remember when I walked the aisle to give my life to Jesus, like... I was barely sober walking the aisle. I was depressed and I was broken and I was clueless. And I had no peace. All I had was a bag of sin. That's all I had to offer God. And I remember the guy saying, hey, you can come and it's a free gift and he'll forgive you. And I was like, I don't know if that's real, but there's nowhere else to go. I walked the aisle and here's what I prayed to God. I don't know if you're real. I'm not sure you want me. Feels like everybody else has walked out. I don't know why you'd want to walk in. I'm, I'm going to mess up again. But if you're real, here I am. If you're real, here I am. I became a pastor. How did that happen? If you're real, and if you want me, here I am. You may be here asking and saying the same thing. Let me tell you from a changed life perspective. He is real, and he wants you. He is real, and he wants you. He is real. And he wants you. He will not divorce you. And he will not walk out on you ever. He is real. And he wants you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And if you would, I know this is the exit time, but I'm going to ask you, please, if you would just stay still. I don't want, if someone... This soul is going to go from dead in their trespasses to alive in Christ. I don't want anything to disrupt that, please. Just for a moment, if you are in this room and you're not part of God's covenant love, that's the only thing that can separate you from him forever. I don't want you to be separated forever. You can be just like me, jacked up and broken, in need of a Savior. And that's all you have to admit. 
you're in this room today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I don't want you to be separated. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, all eyes closed and head bowed all across this place. I don't mean just, I mean like you know that you know that you know if he came back that you are, you are good. You are good. If you don't have that peace, please. That is you. I just want you to raise your hand all across this place that I want that and I need it. I want that and I need it. Just hands raised boldly. Hands raised boldly all across this place. I want, amen, proud of you, amen. There's several of you, amen, amen. There's another, amen, there's another. I'm so proud of y'all, that's awesome. Anybody else, anybody else back here too, amen, amen. Here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna sing, we're gonna stand, and if that is you, don't let anything stop you. We'll have pastors up front, and all you have to tell them is, I'm ready to surrender, I'm ready to surrender. Father, would you give them courage just walk this aisle just like I did. Let them know that you're waiting for them and it's not going to be this, this special prayer that they pray. They can pray just like me. I know I'm a sinner and if you're real, here I am. Yeah, would you give them courage to admit that, to surrender to that? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. We're going to sing what he's done. Is that okay? Because he's a good God. Our sins are forgiven. We've been set free. And while we're singing, if that is you, many of you raise your hand, or if you need to come for prayer, our pastors are here. Let's sing this together. What he's done, what he's done. All the glory and the honor, sing it out. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is here. I praise God for what he's done. Sing it out, church, come on. What he's done, what he's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. I know there are a handful of you. Here's what I want you to do just tell somebody. Say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Just tell somebody. Then here's what I want you to do tonight. Church community is, is huge for us, it's where growth happens. It's where confession happens, where relationships happen. We have our women's and men's gathering tonight. How many of you are going tonight? Let me get see. How many of you are going tonight? That number really didn't change. All right, tonight, I want to encourage you, you will not regret it. Men's and women's gathering, all right? Make it a priority. I promise you won't regret it. Love you guys. See you next week.